Hey everyone, welcome to Journey Pure Leaders and Change podcast. The reason for this podcast being created is to allow those that are leading the charge in improving care, outcomes, and growth in the world of substance abuse and mental health treatment. This episode is sponsored by Tiger Neuroscience. The benefits of neurofeedback, heart rate variability, and the healing of the autonomic nervous system has been documented with years of research with incredible outcomes. Today, you can harness the power of this healing from the comfort of your home. Easy to use, great results, and sustained health. Those are the benefits of the Tiger Neuroscience Method. Today, you can get $100 off per month on Tiger services by using the promo code attached to this podcast. The promo code 100OFF is for all the listeners of the podcast. Again, 100OFF, that's 100OFF with the off being not capitalized but undercase, visit the link on the podcast description or visit www.tigerneuro.com and enter in the promo code 100OFF in order to get the discount. Today's podcast is with Josh Foster, Chief Marketing Officer of Journey Pure. Josh has spent years in the field of business development, strategic account management, and marketing leadership within the substance use and mental health space. He's recognized as a thought leader in the business development world for his authentic approach and masterful skills in presenting solutions to reference. His vision and ability to lead is why you're listening to this right now, actually. Everyone enjoy this episode, get to know Josh a little bit more and also his approach and also you know some of the opinions he has with where this industry is going. So everybody enjoy. Welcome today. We have Josh Foster. He's the Chief Marketing Officer for Journey Pure. Of course, my boss man, and he's here uh, joining us today. And you know, what a great person to come on and talk more about how he got involved with the field and and working as a professional uh, in this field. And and you know, more so just learning about his background. So you know, tell me a little bit about yourself, man. I don't know a ton about your beginnings of life and and sort of how you grew up and how you got to where you're at. So you know, kind of give me a background. Yeah. Well, first of all, man, thanks for getting this together. I think it's awesome to see, you know, our teammates find new mediums to connect with people. You never know how people like to shop. So it's it's nice to be diverse and and some people love to have their door knocked on and some people don't and some people like to get on podcasts or webinars and other people don't so there's a little flavor for everybody so thanks for getting it together Um, and I'm excited to see who else you get on Um, uh, honestly my career was was um, bolstered by uh, really great mentorship that I um, leached onto Um, and uh, if it weren't for a lot of those guys men and women that, that I, you know, admired so much and looked up to in the field and asked for guidance. Um, uh, I probably wouldn't be doing this today. Um, as far as my background goes, uh, you know, I grew up in DC, Washington, DC, um, had a pretty, pretty normal early childhood as most people do. Um, normal to me anyways. Um, I was a musician and I, it was always my dream to be a musician. I went to college and I, I got a, a made my mom major, the major for my mom, which was business. And I double majored and I got my major, which was a music business major. I um, really wanted to be in the industry. 
in one form or another hope to play, but you know, whatever I'd take, whatever mm-hmm. ended up moving to Nashville in 2007. Um, I also failed to mention I was a raging drug addict and alcoholic. Um, yeah, had, uh, had a long history with both and, um, tried to move to Nashville to, uh, have a bit of a geographical cure. Didn't really work for me very well. Um, all my problems got off on the plane with me. And, um, yeah, I mean, I spent two years touring as a musician, um, with some country artists and we were, I remember, uh, I had just T-boned a police officer, um, and gotten my second DUI. And, uh, and, uh, I was really trying to get sober and I was going to AA meetings and, and it was going okay. I was taking some of the suggestions and my sponsor, uh, gave me a suggestion. He said, you probably want to wait to go on tour. Um, try and get some time under your belt before you leave the country at, at most, you know? And, uh, I, it was one suggestion I didn't take. And by the time I had gotten on the plane, I was, I was, um, to, to Europe with the, the, the band, I was, um, back in active addiction and, you know, I'll leave the stories, um, off the table for right now, but needless to say, I charged a ton of money to, uh, this, the, the singer's room, the, the artist's room in, uh, alcohol and other things. And, and, um, fell off stages and all the things that you can do to embarrass yourself at a job. And, and this is a job, you know, you're getting paid to do this, even though it's a dream, it's still a job. They fired me, they flew me home and an organization called music cares paid for me to, um, go to treatment. And it's an organization I'm forever grateful for. Uh, it's part of the Grammy foundation. And, um, cause I was a published artist, I was eligible to, to get some help, got some help took some suggestions. Um, and about three months later, my good buddy, I was producing a record for him. We went to AA together and, um, he told me what he did. He said that he helped people who are struggling with addiction, just like me get into treatment. And I just couldn't even believe it was a job. Super inquisitive. Uh, I've always been, and, and I just dug more and ultimately mm-hmm. I started my first job at an intervention company and just kind of worked my way up from there. Nice. You know, uh, you started off with the intervention company and, and of course you kind of worked up to, you know, different roles until you got to this point in your career. You know, what's been your greatest challenge thus far, you know, as far as working in the field and, 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 uh, you know, advancing professionally, I guess is the best way to know. You know, the greatest, I think not just in this field, but in any field, um, you know, I always have worked really hard. And, and I've always been a student of whatever it is I've been asked to do as a job, whether it be music, um, you know, sales, which was another part of my big, big part of my background. I've just always been a student of it and I want to get great at it. Um, I don't really want to be a jack of all trades. Um, and so when, when you get really good at something, especially sales, um, I, I think that uh, it's really hard for people to recognize advancement opportunity for you. They rely on you as a revenue generator. Um, and I'm speaking really specifically, I know, to, to sales right now, but I think anybody in sales who has aspirations for leadership can agree that mm-hmm. definitely not all salespeople are meant to be leaders and not all leaders are salespeople, right? And uh, um, even though what they do is selling all the time. But my my biggest challenge early on was help getting getting 
leaders that I reported to to recognize that I was ready for advancement and to really fall on the sword, the revenue sword, so to speak, because I was a producer for them and, and say, you know, all right, I know that this guy produces for us, but um, he's the kind of person that we want in our company long term. Let's give him some advancement opportunity. Let's let's try and find it, like whatever it is. I really struggled and I had to find my own way. Uh, I had to go out on a limb a lot and make some risky choices about where I went in my career. Um, but every time I found myself in a situation of learning, I think anybody will. But that was really my biggest challenge, I think, that I faced early on. Uh, the other biggest challenge I, I faced in this industry was really um, 2019. You know, we had a fairly tumultuous year. We lost a lot of our executive team. Um, we had a tornado or a hurricane and Panama City Beach, one of our locations, it just about destroyed us. Um, uh, and then, you know, being able to lead through that, uh, you know, learning a lot about leadership through that and calm, assertive leadership, has been that was a challenge too. All right. You know, who, who have been, you know, your greatest personal and professional influencers or mentors so far in your career? Uh, I, well, so my personal influence uh, greatest personal influence would have to be my uncle. Uh, his name is John mm-hmm. Koopman, and he was a senior executive at, at, of sales at, at um, Microsoft, and he sold exclusively to their enterprise accounts. He was great at his job. He's very successful. He just retired. One of the things I admire so much about him is, uh, you know, he, he's a moral, ethical man, um, with a really, really strict set of, of, of moral guidelines, personal moral guidelines. Um, for him and for his family, he knows what that line is that he'll never cross um, ethically or morally. And, um, you know, to be able to sell in a high-pressure environment like that, um, it's not just about being a yes man, right? But he's always able to accommodate his clients and have a lot of fun with them and really enjoy the relationship, but only to a point. He would never let it go beyond that. And, and, uh, and, you know, I've always respected that out of him and he, he always won. The guy always was successful and he was never, uh, successful in spite of whatever his moral compass was. And I, I, you know, I'll always admire him for that. Um, another really, uh, key pillar in, in, of influence in, in my life has been my, our current boss, our current CEO, uh, Kevin Lee. One of the things that I admire so much about him is his consistency as a leader. You know, I've worked for the guys who, you know, when things are going really well, you've got, you, you got a, you know, a private plane and courtside seats to Lakers game. Uh, and when things are going really, really poorly, you got a little red dot on the back of your head and you're wondering when they're going to pull the trigger. And <laughs> those guys are scary to work for and they can be really fun to work for too. Right. But it's, 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 it's manic and that mania is really challenging to work in um, and work for one of the things I love and admire so much about Kevin and, and you know, what his influence on me has been is, is consistency in how you behave as a leader and letting your team know what you can expect, what they can expect of you all the time is powerful. I mean, things could be, literally the best on the planet or the worst on the planet. And you would never know talking to Kevin. He's just such an even keel person. Um, and even if you know that they're not going well, he's still consistently the same. He's still Kevin, right? He's not flying you to a Lakers game and putting you courtside. Um, but he's also not, doesn't have the hairpin trigger on the back of your head either. 
Um, so that, that consistency is great. And, and it's really important. And I've learned that in leadership, you know, people can rely on that consistency when they walk in the door and they know what to expect every day. That's a, that's a really powerful way to help an employee get up and kick the sheets off in the morning. Absolutely. Yeah. Consistency is key. You know, it's, it definitely provides not a level of comfort, but you know, something of someone that you want to work hard for, you know, because it provides both. Yeah. Absolutely. You want to fight for someone that's a strong and steady leader versus someone that's going to be angry at you and kind of ride that wave, you know, so definitely understand that, uh, you know, a couple of other questions, you know, um, you know, where do you see our industry heading in the, in the next, uh, let's say one year to five years to, to beyond where, where do you see it heading to? Well, um, so behavioral health is one of the most underprofessionalized fields in all of healthcare. It's also pretty archaic. I mean, you know, I think the leaders in this space, and there are not a lot of them, but most of the leaders, I think, do a pretty good job. But even they have big technological deficits. Um, they struggle when it comes to engaging clients long term. Um, mm-hmm. And I think most healthcare, when it comes to a disease that is, um, that is, uh, that is reoccurring, it's with you forever, like addiction or diabetes or asthma. Um, mm-hmm. you know, um, people have always struggled to stay engaged with patients long-term, but more so in, in, in behavioral health care um, specifically. It's a revolving door of the same people getting help over and over and over again and, and falling off because we do a really bad job of staying accountable to a chronic condition. So I think there's going to be more accountability. I think there's going to be um, paying for performance. I think we're going to see a lot more of paying for performance, mm-hmm. um, something that I, I welcome, uh, you know, um, mm-hmm needs to happen. Um, we can't rely on the people that we get well to get sick again to help keep our doors open. That's a pathetic business model and mm-hmm. it's really predatory. Um, the the uh, other thing I think we're seeing already is with, with the coronavirus, COVID-19, you know, I think it advanced our space um, about three years in the period of two weeks. Um, you're going to see telehealth become kind of a new standard of care in a lot of ways. Um, people will be able to go to an intensive outpatient um, session virtually, I think more regularly. I think insurance will continue to pay for it. Um, and the last thing that I think is going to continue to happen is that we're going to see a constriction in this space. So many of the providers out there are relying on really just a small percentage of what kind of insurances are actually available out there. And I'm speaking mostly to out-of-network insurances or private pay audience. And, and you know, that's a, a really small subset of the people who actually need help. Mm-hmm. Um, and so you're going to see a lot of those places probably go away as the managed care organizations push for more in-network capabilities and they squeeze out a lot of the out-of-network benefits or make them impossible to utilize. Mm-hmm. With you know, outstanding, like outrageous deductibles and out-of-pocket maxes, which we're already seeing, but you're going to see marketing become in this space a lot more hyper-localized and um, uh, you know serving the needs of the people in your backyard. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. You know, how do you see you know the behavioral health and substance use disorder uh, service providers? Uh, you know, the other pr- pandemic. You know, people often are thinking of COVID-19 and, 
you know, the $2 trillion have gone into our economy to kind of promote out of this, you know, how do you see people that are in our field promote without seeming, I guess, unsensitive to the current pandemic, but also promote their services? What's the best way you think we should, I guess, put something online or, or, you know, questions we should ask or how we engage those that are working in the field that are, you know, cross-servicing, you know, like today I talked to a nurse. What, what would you see as far as, you know, I guess, increasing, you know, the light on what we are still serving, which is a pandemic and, and suicide and overdose? Yeah. So um, the, the bottom line is we'll get through this. Mm-hmm. We, we will. Um, it, it, will um, it will subside. Things are already starting to flatten. Uh, a little bit and ease up and we've got a long road ahead of us, but I know that I know we'll get through it. I think the thing that's not acceptable right now is again, I come back to the predatory sales practices that have been so synonymous with substance abuse treatment centers in the last couple of years, five, six years, seven years. You know, we, we, we need to be really careful about our messaging right now and make sure that we're not looking opportunistic. I've encouraged everybody who works for us who has a mouthpiece for, there is a mouthpiece for journey period, just like yourself. Really be cautious and conscientious and sensitive and empathetic of, of what's going around going on around you. If you get online and you say, geez, what a great time to fly to treatment. There's nobody on airplanes. You know, yeah. that, you just kind of come across as a total schmuck. And I <laughs> got that text message, if you, yeah. if you can believe it. Uh, struggling uh, center in South Florida with, you know, just the, just the skis, you know, it just has to stop. So be empathetic about what's going on around you. I mean, the other day I saw a woman post something on LinkedIn. Uh, and I think what she was trying to do in her heart of hearts was just to say, I'm trying to look on the bright side, but instead the way that she said it was, and I'm paraphrasing here, but like no more takeaway food or no more takeout food. We're eating at home. Mom and dad are at the table instead of at work. Um, you know, we're getting to replace TV time with nap time or school time with nap time or whatever it was. And so she went on this long laundry list of all the benefits. And I get it. She was probably trying to just look on the positive, but she came across as just so privileged and so unintune with what was going around her. I mean, 4 million people have lost jobs in, in an instant, like in a heartbeat, you know? And so you have to be aware of the things that you're saying at the times that you're saying them and in the atmosphere you're saying it into. Mm-hmm. And so um, I've been really encouraged. You know, I had to redirect one of our employees who, who said something like, and, and, and I, again, he's trying to do his job, right? And it, his LinkedIn post was, we are open for business, all capital letters with a ton of excla- exclamation points. You're right. We are open for business. There's not anything wrong with saying that. But why couldn't you rephrase it in a way to just say, we're so proud to serve our community. We are still open to serve individuals who are struggling with substance abuse. We know it's not going away. We're not going away either. I mean, just think for a second, like I don't want us to come across or anybody shouldn't want to come across as a big going out of business sign with the, you know, the marquee lights flashing. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, like if you appear as a coupon, you're almost making a caricature out of yourself. Mm-hmm. Before you hit the send or submit button, really read your message, sit on it for a second, make sure it feels good. You'll get into a cadence eventually where what comes out naturally is what you would want to hear as a customer 
and not perceive as desperation or, you know, um, predatory. So I, I don't know. I could get on a soapbox forever about it, but it's, it usually is an, an error that people make in haste and it doesn't need to be made. It can just be slowed down a little bit. Um, but I'm, I'm a capitalist. I'm all for capitalism, but try not to be such a capitalist in the time of a pandemic. I mean, like be a, be a service provider. I'm passionate about that in sales is if, if you're not selling with a service mind, then you're not selling at all. You're just self-serving. And I see that with a lot of posts right now where it's, it's that marquee mentality of, you know, going out of business. We're open for business. We're open for business, big flashing lights. And they're not wrong, but ultimately you just got to be cautious with how you message things. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And, and, and that's the reason why I bring it up is because what I see out there is how it's really blurry about how some people just, yeah, put things out there and then other people are kind of like, oh, I don't like how that sounds. You know? and, and overall, you know, we'll know who isn't open for business. You know what I mean? Yeah, right. We'll know that, it, but we all know that we're trying to help people. You know, it's just how can we bring out relevant information to help get people on board and, and still understand that, hey, people are still committing suicide and people are still overdosing and people are still struggling with alcohol. Yeah. And some of those people have coronavirus too. And it's exactly. like, you know, like you, you got to figure out how to help everybody. Um, you, you know, I, um, yeah, yeah, you're exactly right. I mean, one of the other things I see often on the other side of the coin though is, you know, people are so terrified to have their brand name associated with coronavirus or COVID-19. It's like the it's like the scarlet letter. And so they don't say anything, they don't do anything. But now we're at a place where, you know, if if you haven't at minimum posted that you're following CDC guidelines to help your customer feel positive about the decision to buy with you, to come to your center or go to your outpatient center whatever it might be, you know, we're essential services, but they might feel like it's more essential for me to stay home right now. So I understand the duality of it. Like you don't want to overblast the message that you're open, but you don't want to underblast for the fear of being associated with something negative like this mm-hmm. pandemic. So I think there's a, there's a challenge in, in, in striking a happy medium and a balance, but it can be done. And, and a lot of people are doing it beautifully. I, I happen to think we're doing a pretty good job um, of letting people know that we're here for them and our communities know that we're here for them, our healthcare workers that we rely on as a business and who also rely on us. Um, you know, if we're not open, then people are just flooding the ERs and they're flooding the ERs. That is the exact spot that insurance companies, the employers that are self-insured, the healthcare workers themselves, that's the exact spot they don't want them to be. Uh-huh. And, the, and the patient doesn't really want to be there either, but it just shows the necessity of the need in the moment. What needs to happen is those beds need to be available for people who are really, you know, with the pandemic coming in and maybe need a ventilator or need, you know, to, to, to be under more acute observation. I mean, our obligation is to healthcare providers right now. So we do need to let people know we're open and we do need to let people know we, we are still here to help them, but we just have to do it in a caring, compassionate, compassionate way. Absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, you know, what are some tips you'd like to, to give to marketers? I know you probably just said a whole lot of things right there as far as tips, but you know, you've been, you're, you're a little longer in the tooth doing this than, than someone like myself and, and also a lot of people that are out there and you've had a lot more success than that. But that's the reason why you're in the position you're in and, 
you know, what are some of the things, you know, you know, what are the tips, you know, what, what kind of, uh, what kind of suggestions do you have? Um, well, one of the things that I love to talk about is salesmanship as a service. The first thing that we need to do though, is identify as a sales professional. If you're a salesperson, be a salesperson, be proud of being a salesperson. I personally identify as a sales professional. It took me a while to figure it out and come, come to grips with it. But you know, if, if that is what you are, then own it. You know, don't call it, don't give yourself some crazy title like clinical liaison or something like that if you're not a clinician. That's mm-hmm. got to stop. That stuff is so silly. It's like people really just kind of tiptoe around the issue that they happen to be a marketer. There's nothing derogatory about it. The word to sell comes from an old English word, sell-on, S-E-L-L-A-N, and that word meant to serve. And when somebody told me that, and they explained to me that if you are selling with a service mindset, then you will always hang your hat at the end of the day on a hook that was well spent. And you'll feel proud of the work that you do. And there's no way to sell as a service and walk home in our industry and not feel proud of what you do. Mm-hmm. Selling as a service in our field would look like, um, you know, when somebody called you, Michael, and, you know, the first thing that you would do is understand what their need is. Mm-hmm. Right? The first thing is you have to deeply understand what their need is so that when it's your turn to present, what your solution is, you can determine, is it really a solution that is for them or am I just barfing my brochure on somebody? Yeah. <laughs> and I, I use that term a lot, but it's something that I hear constantly. You know, I'll tell you this uh, fun little background story. One of my really great friends, and I consider him a, a kind of guru in this space of, of marketing um, outside sales in behavioral healthcare. You know, I'll never forget, he and I went to a uh, a, a uh, presentation that we were giving at a hospital and they do these presentations in rounds. So you'd have like three facilities present to a whole room of doctors. Cause you're not going to get a whole room of doctors and nurses and social workers together, you know, in multiple days in the month. So they would have three centers come in, present on what they do. And I'll never forget sitting there so awkwardly watching the other two centers present. And literally it was like, they pulled a brochure out of their mouth. They might as well have just taken a leaflet and put it in front of everybody and said, goodbye, I hope you like the donuts. And then my buddy gets up and he asks everybody in the room a question. He starts off with a question. And that's really the first part of any sales cycle is establishing a need base. So the need base that he established was one that he already knew they had. He said, how many of you have had to get a patient into treatment for addiction? Mm-hmm. after they leave your hospital. And of course, everybody raises their hand. And they said, how many of you had had, have had difficulty with that process? Whether it be nobody answers the phone or nobody gets back to you or they don't get back quick enough or they don't get back to you with a solution even if they aren't the solution. How many have had that problem? Of course, everybody raises their hand. And then when he presented, he didn't present about his facility. I mean, of course, he went through the process of saying all of the things that they did at the time, we did at the time. But Mm -hmm. before he got into any of that, he pounded home what his solution for their problem was. So, you know, I think that that's a valuable piece. You know, number one, own the fact that you're a marketer. Say that you're a salesperson and say it proudly because you're a service member to people who are in the greatest need of services. Um, And then really work diligently to make sure you're finding and establishing what their need set is so that when you present, it can be a tailored presentation rather than a, a literal barfing of a brochure. 
Exactly. Everybody can read a brochure. What yeah. other value do you add, right? Right. Why are and they going to work for you? Why are they going to work with you, right? That's that's sort of how I've always looked at it. You know, how are you going to, you know, give them your why? Because it's always important to understand why other people are doing what they do. And if they're sitting down and and they're willing to give you the time of day to listen to you, the 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 need is already fairly well known if they work in certain settings, you know. And it's just kind of a reaffirming saying, "Hey, do you need this?" And everybody's puts up their hands. That's how you know people are actually listening to you as well. You know, yeah, yeah, uh, absolutely. It's also a re-engaging tech technique too, because you can make a joke to get them to laugh and, and say, say, "Oh, hey, you," you know. So I've I've done something similar to that, and that's 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 great um, advice. And yeah, I definitely understand that, and have, have seen you know myself. You know, actually, I can think of a event I did over Christmas time at well with Wellwind. I, I asked the same exact question when I got up there, and everybody raises their hand, right? I mean, and you know what their needs are, but then what's really fun and where the service really comes in is after that. You can make you now have opened the door to a personal connection with each of those people. They mm-hmm. want to know you. They want you to be their solution provider, right? And you've explained that you can be that. So now the door's open for you to develop a deeper relationship. And in those micro interactions with all of those people, rather than the macro of the entire room, now you have an opportunity to understand what the needs of each individual are. And maybe some of that, it's operational issues that they have at the hospital. Maybe it's like, I don't have a place to send my adolescence. Maybe it's, you know, maybe it's a different type of acuity or something like that. The goal is that you want to be the solution provider for them. You're the expert. It's your job is to be the expert in the field. You need to know all the providers and all the verticals in our space and what they can take and what they can't take and their insurance matrix and all of that because your job is to provide solutions. That's how you serve your community. When we hire reps at Journey Pure, we're, we're hiring people that we hope are embedding themselves into the community to make it a better place. Um, and the only way you can do that is deep knowledge of your, not just our company and what we do, but of all the companies out there. So that when it comes time to you getting that call from so-and-so social worker at this hospital who has a 17-year-old struggling with eating disorders and more mental health diagnosis, you know exactly where to send them. And you know why you're sending them there. And you know it's a good place because you've been there, right? So that's what we're hoping out of our people is to, to make your community a healthier place. And as a byproduct of that, they'll look to you as a great beacon of, of, of you know, security and help and, and health. And because you're that beacon to them and a representative of Journey Pure, it'll come back around and we're not worried about that. Yeah, one of the things I always did when I was working for another provider and how I got to know Journey Pure is being able to utilize Journey Pure for the services they had. So a guy named Graham Barrett, I used to send a lot of folks to Graham back in the day. Graham Barrett. Yeah, he, 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 uh, yeah, I, I try to keep them a little busy sometimes. I was like, man, this insurance, all right, have this, all right. You know, yeah. Graham, Graham can help, you know, and that's one of the benefits. Yeah. And he, and, you know, and he was one of the best. Yeah. You know, he, he was one of the best. He, he really was uh, a guy who cared about what happened to everybody. He got to, you know, every life that he got to touch. And, um, you know, he put a lot of people in treatment with Journey Pure, but he put a lot of people in treatment in general. 
mm-hmm. always putting somebody somewhere because uh, that's just the kind of guy he was. And um, yeah, you're right. That's the, type of, that's the type of mentality I try to have as well. It's this, you know, to be able to help folks, you know, it's just not. Absolutely. You know, here it's just, you know, let me help out. You know, being yeah. able to work with a mom, I had one this last week where, you know, it was, it, she only had a little bit of money to pay cash and he needed to go to a place. And I, I you know, it wasn't the most ideal spot that he's gone to, but it, it's a place where he can go to. And I connected it, you know, someone else was willing to just to drop him off to me and say, Hey, Mike, we don't know what to do with this. So I said, okay, Hey mom. And I worked with him for two days and he's, he's somewhere now. You know, and he's getting help, and he's, it's a lot better than where he would be at. You know, so yeah. I, I love I, that's to me sometimes the biggest victories are, are finding things like that. You know, where where yeah. you get to that point where your back's against the wall, and you're thinking, I don't know if I can help this person. They really want some help, and then all of a sudden, you know, things just unravel. Things get taken to light. You get to connect with these people, and it's just they start stepping up. Someone steps up, you know, and, and that's what I find so beautiful about this, about this field is, is yeah. there are so many people that are willing to step up. And it's yeah, we, and we want, we want the reps that are always willing to step up. That's, that's the thing that we want. And it's not out of a self gain of any kind. It's not out of preservation of our job. I mean, it's just what we want for our people to be doing is to always be the people willing to step up. Yeah. I appreciate that. Yeah, absolutely. You know, what What are, you know, let's go on to, you know, fun things. What are some of your personal hobbies you like to do, Josh? Uh, I'm an avid golfer. Um, I'm not very avid right now. Um, <laughs> but, uh, yeah, I, I love golf. I'm totally obsessed with it. And uh, I can't even believe I don't get to watch the Masters this week. Um, but, you know. They're bigger, more important things than the Masters. Although it doesn't feel that way when it hits April and you can't watch the Masters. <laughs> yeah. yeah, it's kind of strange when you see the Florida swing come up and, and then it's, you know, sawgrass happens and you're like, okay, it's going to be Masters next month, right? And yeah. it, it, yeah. me being from Ponte Vedra, Jacksonville area, it's like that's the big tournament. Then the Masters is a huge tournament. So TPC is such a big deal. And then, you know, you know that within, three weeks for about to see the masters. Right. And that's the granddaddy of it all. And now it's like, (laughs) especially it being springtime and everything blooming around here. It's kind of like, yeah. So, but I hear we're going to be seeing it in the fall, which will, will be different, you know, yeah, it should be a spectacle. In November is better than no Augusta at all. So exactly. Exactly. I'll take it. You know, um, I was going to ask you some stuff about college football, but you probably don't care about that. I'm a Florida State Seminole fan. You know, favorite pro athlete ever? Tiger Woods. All right. Is he your favorite golfer right now? Do you you don't like? 100%. Easy. Easy question. So that redemption story just sealed that, that deal, huh? It was the greatest, single great, one of the greatest moments of my life watching him knock that putt in on 18 last year to win that masters. I mean, I went berserk. I've never behaved like that in my life. It was just incredible. Like I was so overwhelmed (laughs) with whatever emotion was going through me. I couldn't even explain it. That was, that was awesome. That was so awesome to experience what, like you couldn't write a better story. 
Absolutely. So, I mean, you have any questions for me, you know, I'd love to, you know, I I appreciate you coming on and uh, I appreciate you uh, sharing openly and honestly about your experiences, not only personally, but also professionally and being open and candid about, you know, everything that, you know, you see in the field today and, and what you anticipate to see in the field in the future. And, uh, um, I'm proud to have you as a boss. You're that cool, calm, collected guy that, you know, I don't feel like there's a red dot on the back of my head yet. <laughs> I always say yet because you just never know, right? You just never really do know. Uh, and, and, uh, you know, overall, um, I appreciate you showing up. I've, I've gotten a couple other people recorded already. Nice. Great. Uh, and, and, and I'm looking forward to sharing that. But as this thing grows, I would love it if you reach out to some of your folks that you yeah. know and, and ask them, hey, I got a guy that's recording a podcast for Journey Pure and he's trying to spread the message and, you know, top quality folks. You know, that's why. Yeah, absolutely. But, I know uh, some top quality folks that would love to talk with you. Oh, who? Come on. Drop some names. Oh, man. I just got too many. <laughs> we can talk offline. How about that, right? Yeah, I got plenty of folks who would love to chat with you. Well, thanks again for having me, man. I appreciate it. It's great. Definitely, man. Take care. Talk to you soon. Bye-bye.